James chapter three. If you brought your Bibles, James chapter three. Our title is Fatal Talk. A while back, we began one night on fatal decisions to turn away from the Lord, to give heed to seducing spirits and to go a different direction than the one God sends you on is a fatal decision. Then we spoke about fatal attitudes. You know, the word fatal has to do with death or at least ruin. And a fatal attitude is an attitude that too many Christians have that take God and his word for granted. The call that he has to live a holy and a righteous life is taken for granted. It's not really observed because not many observe it and therefore it must not be such a great deal because so few people do. And that's a fatal attitude because in the end, God has the last say. Remember there were those whom he said, depart from me workers of iniquity, I never knew you. And then the last message was on fatal words. And I didn't plan on doing a series on things fatal, but if there's more to it, we'll get to that later. Fatal talk. Now there's two aspects, two directions that I want to go with the subject of fatal talk. And I told you that last time. One is talk that is divisive, that within the church as well as within a community, things like slander and gossip and backbiting and whisperings and criticism, things that we say that cause division cause harm, are insulting, demeaning, or in some way cause people to turn away from you. God remembers what is being said. Listen to James chapter 3 and verse 5. Concerning our tongue, the organ that we use in our body to make words and speech with, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. That's who's behind it. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith, or with our tongue, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith we use profanity or curse men, which are made after the similitude or similar to God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. We've said this the last time about our tongues, that we can do a lot of damage with what we say. If we do not measure our words carefully, if we're not as Christians careful on how we speak, because you see, people measure us by what we say. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, praise the Lord and shut your eyes and clap your hands and act very pious. But on the other hand, like in chapter one here, chapter three, two, you can get mad at the traffic light, somebody who offends you and you can out of the same mouth that said, thank you, Jesus, you can turn around and tell people to go where Jesus doesn't want people to go. I mean, you can do that. And I don't say that any of you have ever done that, but there are people in the world who do that. 
It can be very pious, and like James chapter 1 here and verse 26. He said, if any man or person among you seem to be religious. Now that word it can be devout or pious or spiritually inclined or religiously oriented. And you, you like that. You go in that direction with a part of your life. Now, if any man among you seemeth to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Where does God hide his word? If his word is in you, where is it hidden? It's hidden in your heart. Now, I don't want to get into this, but one of the functions of the heart, among many other things, is conviction, conscience. Your conscience simply bears witness to what you have determined, what has been shown to you to be right. If God has put his word in your heart and said, thou shalt not gossip, or thou shalt not repeat a matter, and so on and so forth, and you start to do that, there will be this quickening, the work of the Spirit. Don't do that. Don't do that. And then there's a decision, there's a war that takes place here, the, the war of the flesh that wants to release what it wants to say, and then something that God says, don't do that. Now, if a man says he is devout, religious, has a walk with God, and he does not bridle his tongue, his religion is vain. A more unkind word is useless. It is for naught. It accomplishes nothing. You can stay in that kind of a religious mode your whole life and never go anywhere when your life is over. It's vain, in other words. It amounted to nothing. Now, God forbid that any of us in this room live a religious life, ignore what God says, speak as we please, because after all, then there's excuse, and then God had to judge it. You see, back in James 3, verse 8, the tongue can no man tame. It's full of deadly poison. Poison is venom. It's what destroys and what kills. Listen to a couple of other statements. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now that's a pretty sorry picture of mankind without God, isn't it? No matter how hard he tries, apart from God, he is an unrighteous person. There is none that doeth good, not even one, which proves to us that no man, as in the context of Romans, no man can earn heaven. He can't be good enough. He can't do enough for himself to be acceptable to God based on the things he has done because there's nobody righteous. And then he adds to what typifies unrighteous men in Romans 3 with these words, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And we all know that's true. We may not just know it's true, but when somebody mentions the fact that with our mouth we worship, praise God, say kind and nice things, and with our mouth we also curse men. A parent can do great damage with their tongue to their children. Just tell them they're no good. They'll never amount to anything. Words become laws in their hearts, and it affects their whole attitude about life and about their parents. I'll never be any good. He'll never accept me. I'm never going to be good enough. A man can hurt his wife by saying things that 
He shouldn't say a wife can ruin a man's affections for her by saying things to him that she should not say. But out of the meanness and the hurt and the bitterness of man's heart, he speaks. See, you can't hide the fact that Jesus said it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Everything that we allow to remain in our heart from another life that we lived, everything that is still a holdover that we don't crucify or get rid of or get ourselves cleansed from, what's the other word, purged? Purging yourself. If you don't purge these things but you leave them in there, they keep coming out and you can evidence that with what you say. We shouldn't say a lot of things that we say. We shouldn't talk the way that we talk. Listen to these words in Psalms 58, 1 through 4. Do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? Yea, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They're like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ears. It seems like God describes unrighteous people by the unrighteous words that they use. When a man opens his mouth, you can locate the person by the words they choose to describe whatever they want to describe, by what they say. I think you can tell how much effect God has had on a person's life by the things they talk about or the way they talk about things or the words they use to describe other people, whether we're kind to other people, whether we're considerate to other people or what whether we really believe those verses in the Bible to esteem others better than yourself, to love one another, even as God in Christ loved us, submit yourself to one another, seek another's good other before your own. You can tell how much of that is really in your heart by how we often describe other people. Well, that lazy bum, I wouldn't give him the sweat off of my brow because that's what's really in your heart. So the whole Christian life has to do with getting the heart cleansed and changed and making sure that the words, the vocabulary that is within us is God honoring and biblically based. We want it to be like that because that's what God wants from us. And as he said in James chapter one, the religious man who does not bridle his tongue has a vain religion. We're not denying he's, he's religious. We don't deny that you're a church member in good standing, that you're cooperative, that you do a lot of things, you give a lot, your attendance is commendable. You do all of those kind of things and nobody said you didn't. But if you don't bridle your tongue, all of that is for nothing. Amen. Let me tell you something. I'm not saying Christianity is fragile. But I am saying the way that leads to life is narrow. And that it is difficult, even as Peter wrote, it is hard even for a righteous man to be saved. Because there's so much daily conscious application of his word to your life. I don't mean we have to sit around in the morning and say, now I just got up, should I, well, what should I say to my wife? Lord, give me the words to say. That's a little narrow, I mean, that's a little tight. You can just say, good morning, wife. Or hi, or what's for breakfast? <laughs> you can do that. I don't say that everything we talk, every time we open our mouth, we say the wrong thing. I'm just saying we have to be careful that we don't. 
because it's so easy to be critical of other people, critical of the government, critical of government officials, critical of the way people spend their money, critical of the neighbor across the street, critical of a brother, a sister, of the preacher, the church, the message. You can be critical of a thousand things and you shouldn't do that. There's no market for criticism. That's really the Dow doesn't even cover critical investments anymore. So it's not like it's okay to do it. It really isn't. Listen to what the psalmist said again. It's the Psalm 39. He said, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good and my sorrow was stirred. I wanted to say something. My heart was hot within me while I was musing or meditating. The fire burned, then I spake with my tongue. Remember that young man in the book of Job? There were Job's three friends and then there was that young man who said towards the end, you know, I have refrained from talking because being in the presence of older men who should have a kind of wisdom that I don't have yet because years create and bring a lot of understanding. So I have kept my mouth shut and let these people talk because I should. But he said, I can't keep them talking now. I got to say something. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20, he said, Lord, every time I open my mouth, it's fire and brimstone. I can't even preach a simple message on A, B, C, D because it comes out, you better turn or you're going to burn. He says, I'm not going to speak in this name anymore. I'm, I, I've been persecuted. I'm making no converts. Zero. Nobody likes me, not my countrymen, not the leaders. I'm out. But he said, your word, this is so good. He said, thy word was in me like, like a burning fire. And he said, I couldn't contain it. And I had to speak. Sometimes it's best to keep quiet. We'll get to that in just a minute. It's best to be silent. But there also comes a time when God will quicken you to say something. But when you do, make sure that what you say is something that will honor him. That's all we're saying. That's why we're here. We're gathered here to talk, to learn the word of God so we know what's right and what's wrong. Now, a second thing about fatal words I mentioned. First is criticism and saying things you shouldn't say. Secondly, tonight is doubt. Doubt and unbelief. The tongue that speaks unbelief, the tongue that speaks doubt. Now, this covers a lot of Christianity because most people in the church either do not know the promises of God or if they know them, they do not believe it or they have not heard or do not listen and are not interested. But if we are believers and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, if faith is based on the word, then our faith should be word oriented. That is, we should speak what the word says. If God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, then what should we say? Same thing. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word in the Bible called confession or profession, which we'll see in a verse shortly. The word confession or profession comes from the Greek word, a compound word, homo, H-O-M-O, which means same, and logia or logos, from which we get a saying or a word. 
And these two words together means to say the same thing. So to confess what God said is to say the same thing God said. When I say what God says, I'm in agreement with God that he is right. That doesn't mean the circumstances say the same thing, does it? For example, my body feels sick. It's experiencing pain and it feels very sick. It doesn't want to function well. What is the natural thing to say? I'm sick or I feel bad. Who doesn't? As a Christian now, I found a new way of living. What then should I say? Should I say what my body says? Is there any other source I can quote here? I can quote God. If I've listened, if I've learned, God made my body. He said he will dwell in me and he bore my pains and carried my diseases. I look at that and I say, now God said he bore my pains, he carried my diseases, but I sure can't prove that's right by the way I feel. That's pretty natural, isn't it? That's, that's the natural man. He said I was, my body says I'm not. Now, if I say I am healed, I'm saying it not because I feel healed or look healed. I'm only saying it because I'm saying what he said. Now, am I a liar? Now, people told me in my lifetime, well, you're lying. Wait a minute, time out. If I say that I'm a believer, but I'm unwilling to accept as true what God says in his word, then I'm calling him a liar. Now, I've got a big choice here to make. I'm setting myself up for all kinds of high-level persecution, misunderstanding. Not only in a community, but in the church that I'm in until people learn something. My body, my natural body, this house I live in, the only one I've ever had, and the only one I'm going to get until Jesus comes, says, it says, you are sick. You look sick. <coughs> you feel sick. You can't focus. You can't see. <laughs> one of those days. Everybody can see it. Everybody understands that he, she is in pain. They are suffering. They're not well. We usually say, I wonder if they've gone to a doctor, if they're taking anything for it, which is the way I grew up. I don't know about you. That's the way I grew up. I was sick when I was born. I think, and I was sick until God delivered me. So here's what I came to say. Now, God said, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Confession means to say the same thing. God says, I'm healed. By the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. Matthew 8, 17 says, by his stripes, we were, not might be, not could be, not ought to be, not possibly. He said, by his stripes, we are healed. It's already happened. Now, that's what he said. I'm going by what God said. This is almost a lost thing in our circles, this business of confession, because so many people write books about these people talk about positive confession or deceiving people. All I'm saying is this. I'm not trying to make up something to say that I want to happen. I'm going by this. Luther said once, I am bound to the word of God. I can do nothing else. So if we're going to live a word life, According to what God said, we got to base what we do on this book. Now, if this book says I'm healed, 
Now, some people don't believe that, so they got to deal with that. But if this book says I am healed, am I or not? It doesn't say when you pray, you'll look healed. It says when you pray, believe. You mean to tell me then when I pray, I've got to believe? I've got to accept as true what you've said, even though there's no evidence of what you said in my body? I can't wait till I feel healed to say, I believe I'm healed. Well, I know I'm healed then. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, future, always future. Maybe one second, maybe one year, maybe a long time. Walking by faith is a different life. Confessing the word, not talking unbelief. If God says you're healed and you say, well, I'm not healed, then one of y'all are wrong. Either your body's right and God is wrong, or your body's wrong and God is right. It's your choice. I know what everybody says. I've walked in the teacher's lounge when I was teaching school and I get there and say, boy, you got it too, huh? Well, I have learned since then that every time you open your mouth, somebody's listening to it. In the other realm, in the spiritual side, somebody's listening to what you're saying. When you say what God says, you got him on your side as your defending attorney. We have an advocate with the Father who stands at the right hand of God on my behalf. There's also an accuser of the brethren who seeks to snare us with words. Maybe we should start all over and start from scratching this thing. You see, my confession locates me spiritually. When I open my mouth and I begin speaking, I will reveal to you what I believe. I might believe in being sick and at the same time say, well, I'm sick, but you know, really I'm healed, but I'm also sick. No, they don't work. That's a double, is that still in the Bible, double-minded? What does it say about a double-minded man in James 1? He is stable in all of his ways. It says he is unstable. So I've got to learn what it is that I'm supposed to say. I've got to learn to talk. Turn to Numbers 14. See, the fact of the matter is, God listens to what you're saying as he listens to what everybody is saying, so is the devil. And what we're saying is being recorded. And what we're saying will either work for you or it'll work against you. Now you may not think that's true, but it is true. Your words have, have a bearing on your life as evidenced in chapter 14 here of Numbers. Numbers chapter 14, verse 28 and 29. As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Now who said that? God said that, didn't he? Is this judgment? It is judgment. What's the judgment based on? It is based on what people said about him and about his word. How they rejected him, rejected what he said, and in essence they called him a liar. We would never say you're a liar, but we don't have to say you're a liar. All we have to do is reject what God says. Look at chapter 13 before you get to chapter 14. Again, go back to 13. Look at verse 31. Through 33, these were the 10 spies. The men that went up with him said, we are not able 
to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Is that not probably true? We're not talking about a lie here as far as the natural world. These people over there that they saw probably were stronger than these people. They were a warring people. They had walled cities. Down in the valleys, they had iron chariots. And the people that came out of Egypt been making bricks for 400 years. They don't know how to fight. And they were awed by this. They went in and looked at this land and they saw all of these mighty men, the giants. These are natural men. Now, this is what God wants us to see in the Old Testament. They came out of there. Verse 32, they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone through uh, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And it said the congregation, verse 1 of 14, lifted up their voice and wept all night long as though God never said a word about that land. He told them clearly, I give you the land. Every place the sole of your foot treads, I will give it to you. Now go look at it and tell me what you think of it. They went in and looked at it, not as though it was their future possession, but as a natural man would. Oh, I heard what God said, but I don't know that I believe it. I saw some men in there who were twice as tall as I am. They were a lot better than I am. How am I going to take my wife and my children, my few goats and a donkey in there and expect those people to be defeated? We can't defeat those people. They're stronger than we are. Well, verse 33. We saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. So he said back again over in 14, verse 36, And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. Why did they die? Because they didn't believe. There is no other simple reason as to why the people that God delivered from Egypt did not make it into Canaan's fair and happy land. It is because they did not believe what God said. Don't sit in church all your life and be guilty at the end of it, not really believing what you heard. I didn't say whether you like it or not. God didn't say he would... Bless our fancy with words that we, oh man, that was good. God speaks to us what we need to hear. He's never made it easy on us because the hardness of our old life requires a lot of pressure. And he sent these men over there. What did you see? Well, this is the fruit of it. The people went, wow, look at the pomegranates and the grapes and all the, but he said, whoa, 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 whoa. But now before y'all get too excited about it, that ain't all we saw. We saw some bad people over there, some difficult, warring people, and there is no way we can defeat those people. We need to go back to Egypt, which is a type of the world. We need to forsake what God has offered us because we've got to work for it. We need to go back to the world. It never occurred to them like Caleb did. Remember what Caleb said? He said, we ought to go in at once. He said, let us go up at once and possess it. Verse 30 of chapter 13 
And Caleb stilled the people and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. How many people in this educated age, this intellectual, superficial age that we're in, everybody wants to be so smart. How many people would have agreed with Caleb? I can see the intelligent thinking people say, now what makes that old fellow think that he can go in and possess the land? Look at him. I mean, he's 40 years old. They would have thought he's 40. They had to wander around until he was 80. This fellow said, we can take the land. Nobody said, why do you think that, Caleb? Because he would have said, because God told us we could. God told us we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. That, that's already been done. If the devil can get us to doubt that, then we'll take back all the junk that we've been delivered from and just think it's a way of life. We've either been delivered or we haven't. Will he supply all of our needs or not? Will he bless us as we go out and when we come in or not? Will he give us the desires of our heart or not? People don't talk like this in the church. People don't. They can tell you more of the names of medicines and drugs or political names that by far than they can quote the Bible. It's as though we've heard it. We're just not sure that it'll do all the things it says. But your faith talks. 2 Corinthians 4. Now go back to the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you are a believer, you will say what qualifies you as a believer. In other words, you'll speak the word of God. If God spoke and you believe it, see what he says. We having the same spirit of faith. Do your Bible say that? In essence, or by its very nature, the word faith is spiritual in its quality. It's not a natural thing. But it's faith in God. Because you can only have faith in God as something that God gives you. If your eyes are closed, you have eyes to see, but you see not. About the best you can do with faith is hope natural things work. You have faith in the drugs. You have faith in a loan. You have faith in a doctor. You have faith in your tires, your gasoline, faith in your policies. You can have faith in a lot of things, but you can't have faith in God unless the Spirit of God works upon your heart to show you. Because when it's spiritual, it's not natural. But if it's natural, it's not spiritual. Let me show you. 2 Corinthians 4, 13, We having the same spirit of faith... According as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore we speak. If I have faith in doom, if I have faith in gloom, or if I have faith in flu, why would a person get a flu shot? I'm just saying this as a point. Why would somebody take a flu shot? Because what? They believe they're going to get it or if they're afraid they might and they don't want to get it. In case they do, they'll have some kind of antibodies built up against it. Now, what about the Christian side? Is that the Christian thing to do? Well, now, before you say no, do you have a word that says you don't have to do it that way? 
If you have a word, then you got to ask yourself, do I believe that word? Anybody can quote the Bible. Anybody can memorize the Bible. That doesn't mean you believe it. It means you memorized it. But do you believe it? Are you convinced of it? Because you see, if you believe you're going to get the flu, if you believe you're likely going to get the flu because, you know, in your family and all your friends and this time it might be big and I've heard this is what happens when it comes and, and so then there's a kind of a spirit of fear. We're talking about what motivates people. And you get afraid that it might happen, so you get in line. It's cheap, it's easy, it doesn't hurt too bad, doesn't cost much, and it's over. It's just like your head's hurting really bad, you got a headache. And, and so the, the remedy is what? Used to be aspirin, I don't know what they call them now. That's what everybody does, because that's what you do. But now wait a minute, time out, time out. Now that I'm a Christian, has God supplied anything for my need in that area? Is there anything that I can call upon him for, or am I still at the mercy of old remedies and the old life? What does he say about this? Does he say that the flu is going to get me? Chances are because, because, because of the nature of my work, being around people all the time, everybody sneezes on you, coughs on you, and blows air on you, that you're going to get it? He didn't say that. I think he says Jesus bore... Jesus bore something. And it says, by his stripes, we are likely to get healed. He said, we are healed. Didn't he? Not everybody in the church has believed that. So God has provided in the church for various methods to get healing. The believer can lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Gifts of healings are put in the church. You can call the elders of the church and anoint them with all. Or you can just pray the prayer of faith. How you want to say it, God never gave you the flu. God never gave you ugliness. God never said to anybody in all of the ministry in the Bible about his life, he never said to a single soul, be sick. And for all the sick souls that came to him, he never rejected any of them. He came to heal and set the captives free. Well, either we're free or we're not. And quit saying, well, I would believe that if so-and-so would get healed. As much as I'd like for that to work like that, it doesn't work like that. If the question is between you and God, one-on-one, -on -one, what do you believe? Do you believe you're healed? Then you must say, I believe by the stripes of Jesus I'm healed. <coughs> and everybody says, well, you're lying. No, I'm saying what God said. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's Romans 3.3. 3. This is a life that I'm learning to live a way that I'm beginning to walk because if I'm walking by the Spirit, if I have faith in God, that is a product of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life with regard to my words. I must learn to say what God says. Either we can do what He said or we can't do what He said. If He said I can do all things through Christ, can I or not? And yet Christians are forever labeling what they can't do. Well, I can't do that. It scared me to death. I thought I would die. And you think, where did you learn that? Well, that's a carryover. That's the old man still operating here. It's hard to say, well, I can do all things through Christ. We know what people say about you in, in your workplace. When you start talking the way God talks, what'd you do, hurt your leg? No, by stripes, I'm healed. You don't look healed. He didn't say I'd look healed. He said, when I pray, believe. That's all he said. 
Maybe I'm going through a lot of persecution and torment. Maybe this is part of the purging process. Maybe I'm being humbled. Could God do that? You don't act like you're real sure that he could or that he would do that. He said, I believe and therefore have I spoken. You see, I choose to believe in the spiritual. By his stripes, I am healed. I don't feel healed. I don't look healed. I don't sound healed. But I believe I am. My body defies God. It tells me that all the things I'm saying are foolish. Because the senses, your physical senses, what you see and how you hear and what you feel, everything in your body says you're not well. And yet you read the Bible and it says, by his stripes you were healed. Now what do you say? Here's the problem. The problem is your physical body living in this natural world is testifying to you, telegraphing back to your mind that you don't feel good, that things are not well. That's a fundamental, natural truth and fact. Don't deny that. We're not Christian science. We're talking about Christian sense. Now, while your body says this is true, God, on the other hand, also has something to say. And he says, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. And you say at the beginning, how can I say I'm healed if I don't feel healed? How would you answer that? He didn't say you would feel healed when he said pray. He just said, when you pray, believe. The healing comes. And while it's waiting and you're going through some of these kind of things, God requires you to hold fast to your confession. And people say, are you okay? I might say this, I've done better. And I've done worse. But by his stripes, I'm healed. And you quit talking about how you feel and how you look. Sometimes it's best to stay away from a lot of people when you're going through a trial. I do. And I keep to myself because I don't want an unnecessary battle to fight. But if he says you're healed, then you should say, I'm healed. Listen to this. The only difference between faith and doubt, the only difference between faith and doubt is the direction you apply your will. Do we all not have a will? Do we not choose? If I choose to believe I'm sick, that's what I believe. I believe I'm sick, he would say. I cough, I corrupt, I hack and hurt and other symptoms and signs. I cannot deny it, I am sick. Well, if you say you are sick, then obviously you do not believe you're healed. But if you say, well, I will believe I'm healed when I feel it. No, you wouldn't believe anything. If you feel it, you would know it then. You don't have to believe what you know. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It always talks. We having the same spirit of faith, we believe, therefore we speak. Speak what? What we believe. If I believe in medicines and doom and gloom and flu, that's what I say. Most all Christians talk that way. Most all of them do. It never occurs to them that they don't really believe what God said. God says, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed, didn't he? Or is there just three or four people left that believe that? You were. Not might be, not could be, but you were. 
past tense, done, settled, forever settled in heaven. Forever settled in heaven is facts that God said it is forever settled in heaven. Now I look at that and I say, God has declared by his mouth that I'm healed. My body says that is not true. You, you are not healed. Now here is my body and here's the devil accusing me and here's God on the other side telling me I am and the devil tells me I'm not. And the whole business of what I'm going to do depends on what I choose to believe. Either I believe I am or I believe I'm not. So I set myself up for persecution and I say this, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I went through this in a very traditional church once and I know what people say. I said, you're what? I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I know what it means to confess what you believe. When my dad said, you need to get you another car and I said, I've already got one. Where is it? I said, I don't know, I haven't seen it yet. And I can see my poor daddy, his brain trying to, what, what's wrong with him? I finally said, well, I'm believing for one. I believe that God heard my prayer. Didn't he say, what things soever you desire? Mark eleven twenty four. See if it's in your Bible there, Levi. Mark eleven twenty four. Let me see that. Mark eleven twenty four. Listen to this. What things soever you desire, verse 24, what things soever you desire when you pray, Believe that you have received it. Believe with your will, accept as true the statement that God made about your body. Take him at his word. If he says, I am, I am. That's the basis for my prayer. Now, what things ever you desire when you pray, believe that you have received what he promised and what does he say? You shall receive it. You know what he said? When shall you receive it? No, when you feel good. No, not what he said. He says, when you pray, believe you have received. Now, if I believe I have received, then what do I say? We therefore have the same spirit of faith. We believe and therefore we what? We speak. So what should I say? I say I'm healed. Not because I feel healed. Not because I look healed. Because you're going to walk this way, you're courting no man's fancy. Sometimes even the brothers look down at you. And they have to fight point one about criticism in this fatal talk. But if I believe what he said, then I say it. All things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Remember what he said in James 1? Brethren, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, but let him ask in faith without wavering. Wavering. Wavering means to doubt. Diacrino. Die meaning to. Crino is a word for judging or discerning. There's no two ways of looking at this thing, no two ways of judging it. A judge looks at the whole picture. But for a Christian with regard to the word, to have two judgments, I know how I feel, I know what he said. And I can't make up my mind. 
then he's a double-minded man. Two minds. He said in chapter 4 of James, in verse 8, he said, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your minds, you double-minded. How can you please God if you say out of one side of your mouth, God's word is true, but out of the other side of your mouth, you say that it's not true. There's something wrong here. If we believe, then we speak. That's the way God expects us to do it. My will, this one thing that God gave me by which my life will be determined, the power of choice. I can choose to believe what he said or I can choose to believe what is natural. And in the balance is whether I have favor with God or whether I'm judged. That's why words can be fatal. He said in Numbers, remember that? He said, I will judge you by your words. You said you wish we could go back to Egypt. We should have never come out here. We're gonna die out here. He said, it will be just like you said because your words have snared you. Now, with regard to all of those words, I want you to turn to John 6. In order for our faith to be in God, we have to have a clear word from God. You cannot have a clear faith without a clear word. It's easy to confess what the Bible says without really believing it. Some people will confess it and hope it works, but that's not what God is teaching us. What God says to us is what he wants us to believe. If he says we are, we are. Look at the power that is in his words. While you're turning to John 6 and 63, let me quote you one. Remember in Isaiah 55, he said, as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven, rain and snow comes down from heaven. God causes this. And this rain and snow, like this wonderful rain we had today, waters the earth. It causes the earth to bud and causes things on this earth to grow. And the crops that you have planted, when they begin to grow, they provide not only food for you to eat, but also some seed that you can sow next year. Bread for the eater and seed for the sower. Then he said with that illustration, God says in verse 11, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty or void, but it shall accomplish two things. It will prosper in the thing whereto I sent it, and it will do what he said it would do. Now that's what he says to us. Now in John 6, 63, Jesus said, my words, my words are spirit, and my words are life. It is the spirit, he said, that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. Natural things will get you nothing in this life except favor with man. But he said, the words that I speak unto you, what are they? They are spirit. They are the words that bring life. They are spirit and life. It only comes from God. It's not an educational process. It's not some heady exercise in some classroom. This is a spiritual thing that God does into whoever, people like me. And he causes this word to come into your heart. It's like light. And when it comes in, a light goes on. And it gives you promise. And it gives you hope. 
and this is what life is all about. You can make it and you can do it because God has given you something you can make it and do it with. His word does that. Now, if his word is just an academic word, then what it does to you is, well, that's really good. Praise the Lord for that. I like that. But it, ha it offers nothing. Maybe we're looking for who else believes this. You don't look for who else believes this. It's what do you believe? You say, well, I might be the only one in where I am to walk this way. I've been there. I know how that feels, and I know how that works. And here I am 41 years later, and I can tell you that God does just fine. He's looking for those that walk that way. How else can we please him? God wants me to get up in the morning and live my life as though what he has promised he will do. I have no idea what's going to happen today. I've been in many circumstances just like you all. And every turn of life that you come through, sickness, illness, accidents, problems, bad phone calls, difficulties, mental, whatever it is, he brings you to himself. He draws you to himself and he says, what have I told you? Remember that verse in Acts 27, 25, Paul said on the ship, Sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. What has he told you? For that's the one thing that day, no matter what's in front of you, that's the one thing you'll hold on to because that's your life. Put your finger there and turn to Deuteronomy 32. Verse 44. And Moses came... And spoke all the words of this song in the ears of the people. He and Hoshea, the son of Nun, and Moses made an end of speaking all these words to all of Israel. Now, Deuteronomy is a repeating of the law. It's a rehearsing of the law. We're on Jordan's stormy banks. We're about to cross over into Canaan's fair and happy land. Moses saying, I can't go. I messed up. But let me tell you what he said before you leave. So he came, made an end of these words. And he said unto them, verse 46, Set your heart unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which you shall command your children to observe and to do, all the words of this law. And that's almost never happened. Maybe a rare instance of that happening. But that's what he said. Verse 47, For it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. What is your life? The words of God. And through this thing, you shall prolong your days in the land wherever you go over to Jordan to possess it. There was nothing more vital, more necessary to God's people than to have God's word. What was it Jesus said to a woman once? Her name was Martha. What did he say? He said, Martha, Martha. You're encumbered about with so much stuff. But only one thing is necessary. One thing. Jesus said one thing is necessary. Absolutely essential. And he said, and Mary has chosen that. What was Mary doing? Setting at his feet, listening to his word. Potatoes, tomatoes. What do you care about tomatoes and potatoes? Martha said, make her work. He said, Martha... Only one thing is necessary. You're trying very hard to do a natural thing. It's a good thing. You're a good hostess. But right now, there's nothing more important in anybody's life than to hear the words of God. There's nothing more necessary to preach to people than the word of God. 
I don't care about all these programs and these vain janglings and all the little neat ideas that people get all caught up in a 20-minute sermon. The only important, necessary, vital thing in this life, the one thing that brings faith and draws us to God and gives life is John 6, 63, the Word. We'll never put too much of a premium on John 6, 63. He said, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and life. And look in verse 67. When everybody left Jesus over his words, he said, will you also go with them? What did Peter say? Where would we go? Where would we go? Thou hast the words of life. Remember vacation Bible school, if you ever went, Sing them over again to me. Some of you went. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty. Teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Well, I'd rather that be lodged in my mind than to all beef patties, special sauce, ladies, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun, which unfortunately is in there. <laughs> God wants us to know we must learn to say what he says. We must learn a vocabulary of faith. We need to develop that. A little baby learns to talk. It doesn't know what it's saying, but it learns to talk. I sat in front of a Hindu temple in Madras, India once, and outside there, the little kid, this little boy came up the car, and he couldn't speak English, but I could speak English. But he would repeat anything I said. If I'd said bad words, he would have said them. He didn't know what he was saying. He was just repeating what he heard. I led him into confession of faith in God, a renunciation of all Hindu worship. And I said, and I curse Hindu. He said, I curse Hindu. And then I prayed. I said, Lord, I pray that this will become a reality in this boy's life and he will truly be saved and I'll see him in heaven. But he would say whatever I said. I'd say, praise the Lord. He said, pray the Lord. I said, that's good, that's good. And I say, praise Jesus. He praised Jesus. I said, good, good. Now, I believe, and he said, I believe, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. And Jesus died to save him. He went through all that. <laughs> now, I say, praise God for salvation. He said it all. Well, you say, well, he didn't know what he was saying. I wonder how many times we have. We teach little babies. They say, dad, dad. They don't know who dad, dad is. That's just a natural word, a mama. And then they learn how to say things. They learn what words they can use it brings results. And if that doesn't bring results, they have other tactics that they can use to get your attention. <laughs> they learn to talk. And when they learn to talk, the meaning of words affects their life. No. <laughs> no. Then you begin to apply discipline because they do understand. You wouldn't spank a three-month-old baby because it messed up somebody because they don't know what you're talking about. But when they get big enough that they can look at you, like if you say, what, well, don't touch that, and they go, <laughs> I have a niece I know that gets this close. If you don't touch that, they get, they put their hand right there. <laughs> Beautiful baby. They know, and once they begin to know, do not parents require them to respond? Don't go, be home, stop it, clean up your room, do this. They know what that means because those words now have meanings. 
Well, we have to, as Christians, learn to develop a vocabulary of faith. For so many years in our lives, we talked the way we felt. But we got to learn now that there's somebody listening to what we're saying, and there is somebody with whom our words must go through to work. Now turn to Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 10. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. Now that's the word homologia, which means our confession of what we're saying, Christ Jesus. Who is the high priest of our confession? Now in type, which this book speaks a lot about Old Testament types, when a Hebrew brought his sacrifice into the temple court, he waited until it was his turn, and they had a lot of priests, because a lot of people bring a lot of sacrifice. It's a big, big deal, and, and just a huge amount of, of work to be done. I mean, not only sacrifice, but cleaning up, providing wood, washing utensils, and, and carrying stuff out of the court. When it was their turn, a man would come in and bring his animal. He would bring it to the priest, and to the priest, he would confess whatever his sin was. And then the priest would lay hands on the animal, he'd kill the animal, blood, and then whatever they did, either a burnt offering or they would do something else with it. But we're told in the New Testament, it's like this. Wherefore, holy brethren, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now see, somebody's still listening. You may not see him, but he's listening to what you're saying. Either your words are words that he can defend you with, or they're words that he can't defend you with. If you're saying what he says and he watches over his word to perform it, then you have him on your side as a mediator and one who blesses you, your defending attorney. If on the other hand, your words snare you and you're saying, well, I can't and I thought I would die and it's too hot, too slow, too far, too something and I'm sure I'll get sick and it's flu. I mean, no snow scares me to death. When you start talking that way, you give Jesus nothing whereby he can defend you and somebody else is listening to you. Who you suppose in Revelation 12, the accuser of the brethren is? Who is the accuser of the brethren? It's the devil. On the basis of what does he accuse you? Certainly not church membership because we got a lot of that. What does he accuse you with? Does he not walking around tempting you? Tempting you to say something wrong. If thou be the son of man, command thee, speak words. If you be the son of God, then do this. If you be the son of God, throw yourself down. And every time he spoke, Jesus said, it is written. That was his defense, the word of God. That word wouldn't work for him if he wasn't living it. So he said, consider your high priest in heaven who has gone into heavens before you to represent you before God and to defend you on this earth. He's the high priest of your confession. Look in chapter 4 and verse 14. Seeing that we have a high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast what? Let's keep saying we're sick. Because if you say you're sick, what does he have to say? Well, then you are. But if we keep saying, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed, then what will he do? You're glorifying him with your words because you're saying the same thing he said. You're repeating his words back to him. Therefore, he responds. He watches over whose work? 
He watches over his word to perform it, to bring it to pass. He doesn't watch over anything else. If we speak not according to his word, Isaiah 8:20, if they speak not according to this word, it's because they have no light. They may read it, but they can't see it. Look in chapter 10 and verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of what? What do you believe? That's your faith. What do you believe? You believe you're going to make it? Do you believe you're going to struggle in this life? I do. I believe there's going to be tribulations and hardships. See, the Bible promises that. You can't say it won't happen because he said it will. Through much tribulation, we will enter into the kingdom. But it's never meant to be something that's going to defeat you and stop you. Because I can do all things through Christ. And he that started a good work in me will complete it. And there's been people that you prayed for. And they haven't come to the Lord yet. In fact, some of them look like they're going the opposite direction. But you really believe that you're inspired to pray for that person. So what should you do? Hold on. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm moved by what I believe. Things seen are natural. Things, as Paul wrote, things unseen in the future that God has promised are spiritual. I choose to take God at his word. And I am what he says I am. I can do what he said I can do. I have been delivered from all my fears. I do not have to be afraid. God will bless me with a long life. God will bless me in whatever you believe that he's promised. That's what you say. These are life-giving words. It becomes fatal when although God says 8,000 promises that belong to you, you deny them all with what you're saying. I don't believe any of them. I can't and nobody likes me and I just can't seem to get going and I don't know, I just can't some days, no matter how hard I try, I just keep me alive after all these years. Why are you saying that? I hear that too much. Our conversation with each other should not border around what we can't do and how bad everything is. I don't care what Rush Limbaugh is saying about the latest crooks. I don't want to think like that. I don't want to be around people that think like that. Sometimes I go places on trips and other people are around and they talk and you think, like I told my wife once, I said, man, I'm going to bed, good night. I don't want to listen to all that other stuff. I'm not used to that. My mind has been purged of a lot of things and I, I am a different person than I used to be. I'm not a hermit or a recluse. But there could be worse. It really could. I'm not a hermit. Don't worry about it. I like getting out a little bit too much for that. But, but God is good. Now, in closing, it is necessary for us to develop a vocabulary of faith. There's three things. If you want to have a, a mouth that honors God, you've got to learn the vocabulary that God gives. You've got to learn, first of all, to be quiet, the secret of silence. Quit talking so much. Read Ecclesiastes 5. Secondly, you speak only what edifies. And thirdly, as I've been saying already tonight, you hide the word of God in your heart. And I'm going to take a sling at this next week if you don't mind. And everybody said, amen. not oh me, but amen.
Amen. Bow your heads with me then. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you've given whereby we can be made free. You've told us in your word, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And if we're free, we're not bound. And if we're not bound, we can serve you without shackles hanging on us. I want you to do that here for us. Teach us how to talk faith. Teach us how to speak the word. Like that centurion said to Jesus, speak the word only. Teach us the power of that. Teach us to talk like that so that we can say to this mountain or say to the storms of life or say to the sycamore trees or to whatever stands between us and your mission for us, we can speak to it. Help us to understand the power of those words of that kind of life and the glory it must surely bring to you. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.